Um, the next one is a question from an MBT forum user uh, on the risk of MBT being turned into a religion. Uh, they write, you've said that a lot of religions have probably started out as one person with a big picture perspective and that over a time, in order for the ideas of that person to spread and become a true religion, the ideas had to appeal to a wider audience by appealing to their fears and ego. Are you not concerned then that MBT could end up being co-opted and used in this very same manner in the future? Well, that's not really something for me to be concerned about. You know, I'm not in charge of what everybody does in the world. I just do my part, and other people will do whatever it is they do, and that's just outside of my control, and I wouldn't control it even if I could. Control is not useful in this point. So what I have done, though, is tried to make that less likely, tried to make that a little harder to do. That's why I use silly names like the big G's. See, I'm trying to not make that like it's, you know, it's the deity that we should all, you know, kneel down to. Um, I try to talk about things in a, in a, with humor, uh, in a very light tone when I talk about the non-physical. And I do that on purpose to, just for that reason. I don't want people to take, you know, the big G's as, as uh, you know, something so serious. And when I talk about the larger consciousness system or Aum, I'm very clear to always talk about it. You know, it is this or that. It, it's a, it's a thing. It's a system. It's a, uh, it's a natural evolving system, you see. So I try as much as I can to defuse that kind of, of thinking about making this uh, MBT into a religion. But I can't help what people do with it. You know, I don't take it that way and I don't speak about it that way. And, you know, I don't uh, encourage people to think that way. And I discourage them whenever I can to put it in that context. Because as soon as you have a, an organization, something changes. When you have this organization, now you have an organization to feed. Now you have an organization that has expenses and the people running the organization need salaries and they need a building to meet in and et cetera. And before long, the needs of the organization start to overshadow the needs of what the original purpose was for the organization. And then the organization becomes a thing in itself. You know, it becomes the, the, the thing that needs to spread and grow and gain more influence and so on. And of course it does that with more people and, you know, more buildings, you know, more workers and so on. So that is not a profitable way for this to go. It needs to be, everyone needs to change themselves. And some people may find it easier to change in a group, but if, that's the case. I don't really relate to that too much. I don't find a group to be, you know, something that helps you individually change. It, uh, maybe it does if you talk about it. Oh, hey, I got rid of a fear, you know, last week. Let me tell you about that, you know, and everybody talks about how they're working on this. Well, maybe that gives you encouragement. You know, there's maybe some value in, in uh, groups and people getting together and 
joining a club or you know an MD, MBT discussion group. And, you know, there's dozens of those that popped up, and I think that's all good because it helps people. Uh, you know, it gives them a an on ramp, if you will, and uh, they can say, "Oh, you know, you're interested in this. Come, come with me to the discussion group. You know, we talk about all kinds of neat stuff." And it's it's probably a good thing to do. Just don't take yourself so seriously. It's really about individuals growing up. And if we can make a situation that makes that easier for individuals, like forming a discussion group or something, good. Or go giving talks or whatever. If we can make it easier, give people some information, that's all good. But let's just keep the big cheese as a big cheese and kind of snicker a little bit when we use that term because that's kind of funny, you know, and keep it on that kind of a level where we don't get carried away with, um, if, you're, if you're doing it right, if you're really evolving the right way, then you're gonna do it our way. You see, we, we know the right way to go and, and uh, that's, this is the best. You know, if you're doing something else, well, that's suboptimal and it really isn't gonna work too well. And once you have that, all that is is ego. It's just arrogance. So if you pile arrogance on top of a system that's supposed to be helpful to people to give up arrogance, you see, you're just not doing doing them much good. You know, arrogant organizations aren't going to help people give up being arrogant. They're going to help people become more arrogant. You join that organization, you take on that organization's arrogance. So. The organization, you have to be a little careful. I can see organizi organizing is helpful. Organizing past the point starts to uh, become not helpful. I don't know, but no, I don't worry about it. It's not like I sit home and worry about somebody making this into religion. It's not my thing. It's not my thing to do or not to do. You know, it'll happen however it happens. I, all I can do is discourage it from people looking at it that way. But there's some people that just look at the world that way. They want to look at the world in terms of themselves as a child and something else as the parent. That's just the way they see the world. That feels safer to them. That feels more comfortable. That uh, you know they put themselves in a child role and then they put something else in the parent role. And if you have people like that. Well, they're going to do it. That's just the way they see reality. And they're going to con you know, construct things of that form because that's the form that makes them feel safer, makes them feel better. And there are lots and lots of people like that. And so it might end up that way. But uh, who knows, you know, what's going to happen, how long it'll take. You know, now if, it's, if we have a, a major leap forward in uh, consciousness quality because uh, a lot of people suddenly get the idea that it's a good thing to do for whatever reason, then it's less likely to happen that way. Which means if in the next 50 years, remember I talked earlier in a, in a question about, well, maybe it'll take 50 years, maybe it'll take 500 years, you know, we don't know. If it only takes 50 years, then it's a good chance that uh, this will never turn into a religion, even if some people want to do that. If it's going to take 500 years, Hard to tell what'll happen. See, 500 years later, you know that old game where you say something and you pass it around through 20 people, and when it comes back, it's different. Well, try passing something through 500 years and see what happens to it. You know, it's the same thing. It's going to come out really distorted 500 years later. So, 
if it takes that long, then uh, I suspect whatever MBT is now will hardly be recognizable in 500 years, whatever it's like. But uh, if it only takes 50 years, well, not so much. So it kind of kind of depends on the time scale there. But whatever it is, I hope that it adds to the solution <laughs> rather than to the problem. And right. if, it, if it changes around and that starts adding to the problem, well, I guess that can't be helped. We, we as a species just aren't ready yet for that solution. We keep turning our solutions into problems. You know, and as long as we keep doing that, then that's just where we are and that's who we are and how we are. And we're going to have to keep on going for a while before we get to the point where we don't change our solutions into problems. There's nothing, uh, you know, nothing I can do about that now here. You know, maybe I'll be back <laughs> a few dozen <laughs> times in the next 500 years to, uh, you know, Power against that, but uh, who knows? It'll just be whatever it is. No, I don't feel any uh, angst because of what might happen after I'm gone. That's not my problem. Well, when you do come back, Tom, make sure you show them these videos. <laughs> that might help. Yeah. <laughs> right, another concise question from Jesse. Very short, straight to the point. Why is it easier to destroy something than it is to create something? Well, you know, that's just a, that's the same uh, thing we talked about earlier. If you don't do anything at all, entropy just happens. You know, entropy just grows. Things just start to fall apart. And uh, that's the, that's kind of the natural process. If you don't put effort in to make things constructive, to make things grow, to make things uh, uh, better, then they just get worse. So it always takes effort. That's part of it. Other part of it is there is there are always many, many more wrong ways to do something than there are right ways to do something. Okay, so if what you want to do is grow up and what you want to do is be able to be kind to people, well, that's a pretty straightforward thing. You just need to be kind to people. And maybe we could say that there's only, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 ways to be kind to people. Pretty soon we'd be splitting hairs, you know, things that really didn't matter. But how many ways are there to be unkind to people? Well, there's limitless. You know, we could sit down and make lists that would probably go into the tens of millions of ways to be unkind to people. And each one would be unique. You know, each one would be uh, would be different in its own right. So. There's, there's a few ways to do something right, and there's lots of ways to do something wrong. So it's easier to do things wrong than it is to do right. That's why this growing up is kind of a struggle. Oh, you've got these choices. Okay, somebody just spit in my face. Now, what am I going to do? I've got a bunch of choices. And maybe one or two of them might be different variations of the right thing to do, and the other 50 are the... Are, are wrong choices, things that'll just make it worse. You see, they're all the reactions, you know, the reaction out of fear, the reaction out of anger, the reaction out of, of uh, arrogance, et cetera, et cetera. You know, those just tumble out by the hundreds. The, the right thing to do now settles into maybe one or two things of the right way to approach that problem. So there's always more poor choices than good choices. So if you just make random choices, 
you will de-evolve. That's why the, I think partly we have this second law of thermodynamics. In the physical world, there are, there are all these possibilities of what can happen. A random choice is drawn. Right? If you just take random choices from all your choices, you will probably de-evolve because there's more negative choices than positive choices. You have to make the right choice, and there's only a few ways to do that. Okay, there's a little old lady and she needs help across the street. Well, what are your choices? Well, you can help her across the street, right? That's that's the choice that works. What are the other choices? Well, you could uh, ask somebody else to help her. You could point her out to other people. Maybe one of those would help her. You'd swear that next time that happens, you, you'd have time, you'd help her. Um, you know, you go all these other things that you could you could react to that and say, well, surely somebody else will help her in just a minute. I'm really in a hurry right now. Um, you could uh, go tell her that, lady, you shouldn't cross the street. You know, this is dangerous. Why don't you go the other way? You know, that uh, wouldn't be much help. But there's a lot of things you could do. You could pick her up and run across the street with her and put her back down, probably scare her to death and maybe get her across the street, but she'd probably have a heart attack in the process. Uh, that wouldn't be such a good idea either. So you have all of these other choices you could do, you see, but the one that's right is this is one choice. It has to go care about her and just help her across the street at her own speed, be very careful to make sure all the cars see you and pause and stop and because she's so slow, it's going to take her a long time to get across the street, but you can handle that. So anyway, that's why it's so much easier to destroy than to create. The, the uh, World Trade Center probably took four or five years to build. It probably took uh, you know, thousands of people, suppliers and construction workers. It probably took months and months of planning. It took people who were uh, very, very smart and skilled in engineering and materials and how to put things together. It took skilled workmen that had unique skills that enabled them to do the things that they could do. And you take all of that to lower the entropy enough to raise these buildings up. And what does it take to bring them down? See? Half a dozen guys who are fanatical. It's all it takes. So it took thousands of smart people working with hundreds of years of, of accumulation of knowledge, say in materials, so that you have steels that have just the right kinds of of uh, characteristics for buildings that tall and that sort of thing. So you have all of this that it takes to go into it, and you're going to rip it down in 20 minutes. That's just the nature of reality. It's always easier to kick a bunch of blocks down than it is to take a bunch of blocks and build something. That's sort of why when you're when you're four years old, you like building with blocks because you have the skill, the man, you know, the, the manual dexterity, and the and, and the desire to build something. When you're two, all you want to do is kick the blocks that Big Brother builds because you really don't have the skill or the patience or the dexterity to build it. But darn, you can you can knock the crap out of that thing and spread the blocks all over the room, and that's fun. You see. So it's, it's the level at which we work and think and how big our picture is as to what it is we, we do. Taking things apart is easy. Designing it and putting it together so it works 
is a lot harder. You know, putting on a play and producing it and uh, and making a go of it is is a lot of work. Being a critic of a play is easy. It's easy to complain. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to point out to other people their errors. It's a lot harder to find your own errors, you see, because that takes work. You got to dig in there. It's easy to see other people's errors. So all the negative stuff is easy. All the positive stuff takes effort. That's just the nature of the way things are. And uh, the natural world runs downhill because it's just taking random choices and a random choice is a much higher probability of being a negative choice than a positive choice because there's so many more ways that negative things can take place than that positive things can take place. So that's, uh, that's just the nature of reality. Right. Yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. The, um, the following question was submitted by a forum member yesterday, and it's a question about right-hand path and left-hand path. Uh, they write as follows. I've often come across this concept of right-hand and left-hand paths, which seem to be a thing in occultism, but also as the concept of yin and yang in Eastern philosophy. I've certainly heard people talking about the left-hand path making it sound harmless and fun. However, I suspect that the left-hand path could be beneficial for the purpose of becoming an authentic person. I've often heard that both paths are complements to each other. There is this metaphor of a tree I've heard about. It goes something like this. A tree can only really grow its crown if the roots are deep enough. The crown representing the right-hand path and the roots representing the left-hand path, maybe. Even the yin and yang symbol does does sorry even the yin and yang symbol does seem to support this claim so maybe you could tell us something about your experience with this topic i'm interested in how this dichotomy of left and right hand paths fits into mbt as i haven't really found a way to fit it in there yet myself well mbt doesn't have a left hand and right hand path that's just a metaphor we don't use um we use lots of metaphors but that's not one that uh that it's in there now we could talk about uh, things that, that we uh, can break into two groups, you know, left hand, right hand. That's really just a metaphor for there's two groups. So you could start out that way, you know, uh, start with the assumption that we have these two ways of doing things, uh, yin and yang, uh, left path, right path, or whatever. It's just a name, a metaphor for splitting something into two things. And usually the reason you want to split something into two things is because you want to make a comparison between those two things. Okay, yin's this way, yang's that way. You know, the left-hand path's this way, the right-hand path's that way. You have these two different approaches to something that you would like to emphasize their characteristics and differences. And that's the point of using a metaphor that says, let's start with these two different approaches, whether it's left-hand, right-hand, or whatever you call it, it really doesn't matter. Now, we have several things that split apart like that in MBT. We have, you know, the intellectual level and the being level. We have, uh, we talk about people who are right-brained and left-brained. You know, um, one being uh, the intellectual process and the other being a holistic, intuitive process. So we're just taking these things, the intellectual process, the intuitive process, and setting them up as, as things to to talk about because when you discuss these together, it makes you understand both of them more easily. 
if you can see them in contrast with its opposite. So that's the virtue of uh, you know talking about uh, A versus B. So I don't have a left-hand path, right-hand path. There's lots of dualities. Um, you know, the paths towards spiritual development, you're kind of talking about this in terms of a spiritual development thing. I have three paths and instead of two. And the reason for three paths is that there are three different approaches to spiritual growth, that there's probably a hundred different approaches, but mostly you can break those down into these three larger paths. And that's the path of service, caring about people, doing things for people out of love and out of caring. The path of surrender, just surrendering your ego and your and your fear, just giving it up, surrendering it to a higher cause. You know? uh, and the last one is the path of knowledge, sometimes called the warrior's path. And that's you use your, your uh, intellect in concert with your intuition to get rid of your fear, to get rid of your ego, to make yourself a better, you know, it's a, it's using your, your, uh, your knowledge and your mind and your experience to grow yourself. Kind of, that's the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps method. Okay. The surrender just happens all at once. You just surrender. You give yourself up. That's more the traditional religious path. You surrender to the higher cause and the service is you just care about others. All you just, you know, you minister to other people. You care about them, you try to help them, and that way you let go of your fear and your ego. You know, you let go of the self-centeredness because it's not really about you, it's about others. Well, you can act or you can be on any of these three paths. You can act like you care about others, <laughs> You don't really, and you can act like you're pulling yourself up with your bootstraps, but you're not really, and you can uh, act like you've surrendered to the higher cause, but you haven't really. So you can you can act any of these these paths rather than actually be them. But the point is that if you be them, they all take you to the same place. You can all end up at the same place, and that is without fear, without ego, without beliefs of being of love and caring. So I would say that in that case, there's three distinct ways of approaching spirituality. All of them complement the other, and you don't have to pick one or the other. It's just that often people, um, so I say, exhibit or express one of these more than the other two. You could be a 33 and a third percent in each, and that would be fine. You see, you're Everybody is an amalgam of all three of these ways. To some extent, we, we, we surrender. You know, we don't want to control everything. In some extent, we give service. We want to be helpful and caring of others. And to some extent, we have knowledge of what we're doing and some idea of why we're doing it. So most of us do all of those. But you can kind of specialize in each one of those paths or mix and match any way you wish. So that would be my my answer to, to, the, to the left and right hand path to the yin and the yang would probably be these three, these three different paths toward growing up spiritually. Other than that, you can find lots of dichotomies that make a, a fruitful comparison. Um, well, you can have the comparison I just made between acting and being. See, there's, a, there's another one. You know, you can talk about what's the difference between acting and being. And as you talk about how acting is, that makes you or that helps you understand being because being is not that it's the other 
we talk about how being is that helps you see acting for acting. So these little dichotomies you set up, uh, there's nothing magic about a, a two, uh, setting up two things so that you can learn really about both of them from the ensuing discussion. It's, uh, I don't see any magic in that. You can probably find a dozen of those in MBT. You can probably find a dozen in these other things too. We just tend to pick out those as things to talk about because that's, that's how we learn through comparison often. Right. Thank okay. you very much for that, Tom. Um, my next question is from a former member, and it's suddenly subject of nihilism. Uh, they write, I've noticed that people adhering to such or certain philosophies justify them by nihilism. I have to admit that maybe they have a point. I understand that the big picture view of MBT explains that the AUM, Absolute Unbound Manifold, is trying to lower its entropy by having itself split into IUOCs, individuated units of consciousness, that are lowering their entropy. That's just a thing AUM does because otherwise it would not exist. Although I'm not sure what not existing means in this context. Yeah. Wouldn't I would, well, a comment about that is I don't agree with that, that otherwise it wouldn't exist. Otherwise it would start to, you know, it wouldn't evolve as well. It would exist perhaps without that, but breaking itself into pieces gave it more novelty. It, it enriched its, its capacity to evolve. It doesn't necessarily mean that it couldn't have evolved without that it just that's the path of evolution because that's the lower entropy state so it just does that okay go ahead okay. thanks um it says wouldn't we as consciousness not notice our own non-existence because we don't exist okay i think that makes sense uh, even if aum wouldn't start itself again we wouldn't know and we couldn't care because we don't exist so that's why I can understand at some point that IUOCs do not see the point of lowering their entropy, even though they understand the big picture. To them, it just seems like a never-ending cycle, and compared to all the fun you can have by growing your ego, it just sounds like really hard work. So to okay, paraphrase, let me, jump, let me jump in right there. Can yeah. we get we get uh, at that point? There's all those things you can do that are a lot of fun to grow your ego, and uh, the things that uh, grow your love are just a lot of hard work. You see, that's a problem. That is exactly the opposite of the way the world works. Those things you do that uh, grow your ego and grow your fear make you miserable, unhappy, and cause pain. And those things you do that make you get rid of your fear and ego and, and, uh, and, and grow up give you joy and peace and satisfaction. So that's just the opposite. Uh, your ego is not the fun thing. Your ego is the thing that makes you miserable and unhappy. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I should, have, I should have, uh, add to that in the long term. You may have some fun in the short term with your ego and your arrogance, but it's very short-lived. It doesn't last long because it's, if you will, it's fake fun. You know, it's... it's uh, it's not something lasting. It's not something that is that's really significant. It's very short-lived. In the long run, in the bigger picture, it's the ego and the fear and the beliefs that make you miserable and cause you pain. So that's just backwards. So if you, you don't want to do the hard work of growing up to be of love, you just want to have fun as an ego, that shows very little understanding of the way the world works. The world works just the opposite. If you take that approach, 
what you will have is pain and unhappiness and misery and dissatisfaction. And what you won't have is joy and peace and love and caring. So that's really, really backwards. Okay, Keith. Right. So, so to paraphrase it, Tom, it basically what they're asking is, what is your take on nihilism? Does nothing really matter? And is that why we're supposed to have fun becoming love? Uh, do we merely choose to suffer? <laughs> no, it's uh, something does matter. Something very fundamental matters. And uh, nihilism is not seeing what matters. You know, it's missing the point. Um, what matters is that you grow up. What matters is that you evolve. What matters is that you, you become a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And it not only matters to you, it matters to all of us. It matters to everything. You see, if as we, the humans in our species, as we grow up, everything else is benefited. The environment's benefited. You see, we, we tear the environment down because of our low quality. It's just about us. You know, we can, we can rape and pillage because it's all about us. It's not about anything else. We don't care about anything else. We want to chop all the trees down because we want those trees and you know, we just don't care because we're important and the trees aren't. You see, so the whole world does better when we do better. And it's the same for every other species. When we're all doing better, then you know, we all do a whole lot better because we're all each doing better singly. Now, the nihilism is to deny that there is such a thing as better. You start with the premise that nothing matters. Nothing is important. There is no real value anywhere. Okay, it doesn't matter what you do. Well, that's a very self-centered picture because it's all about you. What's gonna to happen to me? Well, if I do things nice for people, that doesn't mean that I'm gonna get anything nice, so what's the point? They'll just take advantage of me. They'll say thank you very much and go on their way. So what's the point of being nice? People don't appreciate it, they'll just take advantage. There isn't any virtue at all. Everything amounts to no value in the end because after all in the end you're just going to die and that'll be the end of you and what's the point what's the purpose then you just turn into worms and dust and there's nothing else you lived you died you started with nothing you end with nothing there's nothing in between nihilism you see it uh, refuses to see the value that's there there's value in association there's value in being helpful there's value in caring and it's not that there's value in being cared for and there's value in being helped well the being cared for and the being helped will just happen when you're in an environment where there's caring where there's love it's not that it's only important when you get it and if you don't get it then it isn't valuable it's can what do you have to give what can you do to give and if Vanilla says, I have nothing to give, well, I don't think they believe that. They just don't believe that it matters if they give anything or not. What difference will it make, you see, is their sort of their mantra. Well, that's because they, they're, uh, they're kind of lost in this, in this negativity. And they don't experience the 
the really good things in life, the things that do matter because they're so committed with their belief that nothing matters. So how can you have a good relationship and give to that relationship when nothing matters, when nothing's important, you say? So it's a self-defeating philosophy. It's a self-defeating belief that uh, convinces you that there's no point making any of that effort to decrease that entropy. Because yes, decreasing entropy takes work. You have to do something, but that work pays off. It's got a dividend. That's where your happiness, that's where you're caring, that's where your good relationships, your love, those smiles and laughter and having a good time and feeling significant and being significant and being fulfilled and satisfied and all those things, that's where it comes from. It comes from what you can give, not from what you can get. And that is what matters. So what matters is you have a capacity to grow up. As a human being, you have the capacity to give, to care about others. It's in your possibilities of things that you can do. And it does matter to yourself and to everybody else and to the plants and to the animals and everything is better off when you're like that. So nihilism is just uh, kind of a defeatist attitude that uh, usually is based on fear. I fear that I cannot succeed. I fear that I cannot make a difference. I fear that I am inadequate and incapable. Well, that makes me feel bad about me. So I'm just going to believe that there really is no point in doing any of those things. All of that stuff really doesn't matter anyway. So it doesn't matter that I'm inadequate, that I really can't do these things and I'm not really capable in giving and any of that because none of it makes any difference anyway. So if you have a fearful person, being a nihilist is just the cop out that says, oh, okay, I'm a, I'm a fearful schmuck, but that's okay. It doesn't matter because nothing matters anyway. It's the, it's the belief that you get to justify your, your incompetence, your inability to be something of value. So that's to me what nihilism comes from. It comes from fearful people who justify their fear away by becoming nihilists. Well, that's not a very pretty sight, is it? Anyway, it's, uh, it's the opposite of progress. You can't evolve as a nihilist. You're just stuck in a rut. You're kind of stuck in the mud because you have this belief that keeps you from becoming anything more than irrelevant because you believe you're irrelevant to start with and there's no way for you to ever become relevant because that's impossible. That's uh, part of, you know, people have these strategies for dealing with their fear. Another strategy for dealing with your fear, and it's a very similar strategy to this nihilism, and that is <clears throat> I won't play so, you know, I can't lose. So there's this game that this game called life called interaction called caring and loving and you feel incompetent in the game so you say well i'll probably get hurt if i play that game so i just won't play it because if i don't play then i can't lose but if i play it i can lose and that's a strategy that people take in all sorts of parts of their life they refuse to get in the game because they're afraid that they might lose 
Well, the way the game of life works is if you don't play, you lose. You see? So you're going to lose if you don't play. You have a chance of winning if you do play, if you play it well. But if you don't play at all, that's defined as a loss to begin with. So nihilism is kind of a similar kind of thing. It's if I don't play, then I can't lose. So if you if you say there is no point, then the fact that you really don't aren't able to create a point to make anything that matters is okay because you're not playing that game that matters or you try to do something that matters because if you did, you'd probably just lose anyway and it probably wouldn't matter. So let's just believe that you don't have to play. You can just be depressed because there is no there is no point in anything. So nihilism really doesn't have a point. It's a it's a a way of escaping the courage that it takes to go out and live life and make something of yourself. All right, thank you very much, Tom. Yeah. That was pretty harsh, um, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I know, but it's interesting. You say nihilism, I say nihilism. You say tomato, I say tomato. It's uh, <laughs> just add that to the long list of, of words we say differently in England, you know. Yeah, well, um, yeah. there's a lot of words that the English uh, use that we don't even use at all, much less the ones we just pronounce differently. Well, that's what keeps Don and I's marriage fresh. She hasn't got a clue what I'm saying to her half the time. That's <laughs> great. Um, listen, I have a question that came in this afternoon from Jack on the forum. Uh, he says, hi, Tom. I'd like to ask a question regarding the nature of our individual consciousness evolution. Oh, and it's gone. Hold on. It's one second. I have been suffering with a chronic illness for over a decade, and at rather a low point last year, I had what I have since discovered to be a spiritual awakening type of experience. These realizations were very profound and occurred over a relatively short period of time. I soon afterwards found your YouTube channel amongst other related information and have since experienced a consistent improvement in my health as well as a deeper and deeper layer of understanding about consciousness and spontaneous experiences like lucid dreaming. I was wondering if, because this profound change in my consciousness it relative, occurred relatively quickly, that I was, in a way, catching up with my level of consciousness from my previous incarnation. Only, when I look at other people's experiences, it seems as though their evolution... Uh, I can't find the rest of the question. It's disappeared, Oliver. I got it between two screens. Sorry. To... What was the uh... title of the discussion? Um, um, it's 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 not in the forum, Tom. I'll, I'll read the rest. Uh, um, only when thanks, I look sorry. at the other. Only when I look at. Uh, oh, let me see. No, listen. Only when I look at the other people's experiences, it seems that as their evolution generally occurs more slowly over a long period of time. Do you have any views on my observations? Yes, uh, it can happen uh, rather quickly for several reasons. One is that when you're ready, you know, the, the getting ready process can be a long, slow, and tedious process. And often uh, you talked about hitting a low before this happened. Often that dark night of the soul is the, you know, is a key ingredient in that process. When you when you've hit bottom and it just doesn't seem like you can go any lower, then you begin to let go of trying to control trying to manipulate, trying to make it the way you think it ought to be. And when you kind of throw your hands up in the air and say, I give up, 
suddenly all kinds of opportunities suddenly blossom right in front of you to see things differently because now you've let go of the of that control over the situation and you can see things that were always there but you just never saw them before so that's part of the reason this dark night of the soul is often a a, a point where a new beginning starts and that's because we finally let go we let go of the the ego the beliefs everything it's like we get to that point that uh, we just kind of have to accept it as it is and suddenly the world changes now that only happens when you're ready for the change when you've been building and building and building your understanding and you're ready for it then some little thing can just click and suddenly it all comes together you may uh, you know maybe on a, a vacation and you're lying down in the grass watching the birds in the trees or something is all of a sudden a whole feeling comes over you about the way the world is and the way you are and what you've been doing and why it's been dysfunctional and just suddenly all this this epiphany comes to you that just that does happen sometimes now sometimes it's given to you sometimes you just need a little boost a, a little way of seeing things in a different viewpoint and sometimes it'll happen in a dream sometimes in a daydream sometimes when you're just relaxed and your mind's wandering you will be given a view of how things work how you are why your life is the way it is how you might change that uh that kind of thing and it just again you're ready for it so you get that little that little um nudge and you grab hold of it and you go with it if you're not ready for it you get that little nudge and you just push it away you're not ready to take it and go with it yet so that's kind of the difference and sometimes yes it's you catching up from a past life sometimes you have a past life where you heard you were doing better and had a bigger you know better grasp of reality and, and nature and giving and that sort of thing now you've been in circumstances that have kind of boxed you in and, and uh, haven't let you express this this quality that you felt inside and it's been a tedious not very pleasant existence up this point and suddenly you kind of get a breakout where where you uh, everything kind of happens quickly and that's just you catching up to a level of quality that you brought in that you just haven't had the situation in which you could express yourself differently and that can happen you know suddenly but then there's also the slow plotters who just chug along and learn a little bit, you know, day by day and they grow up, you know, they don't have any big epiphanies or big, uh, you know, angels don't come down out of the sky and, you know, tell them, uh, you know, how they ought to change or any of that kind of stuff. They just uh, slowly pull themselves up with the bootstraps. And that's typically the way it is for most of us most of the time. Even when we have these little epiphanies, Typically, those are just means we get a little better grip on the bootstraps. You know, we still have to pull ourselves up with the bootstraps, but we get a little help. We get, uh, you know, a little boost in, in uh, seeing things better. And it's, that's what meditation will do for you, too. The meditation will, will get you in touch with your consciousness. So if you, if you meditate, you know, 20 minutes a day, twice a day, and you do that for a year or two years, it'll put you into a whole different perspective of who you are and what you are just because you're spending time with your consciousness. 
it'll give you a different perspective. So meditation will often speed up a person's progress, whereas before they're just too busy. They're, they're always doing something. They're always engaged. Their mind is always attached to busy little things, you know, from one busy little thing to the next. So there's no introspection. There's no sense of feeling. There's no sense of where am I going, you know, and how am I getting there? And what's the point of all of this? And you don't, you don't dwell on any of that because you're busy, busy, busy. And meditation gives you time and space to see bigger picture of yourself and how you fit in. So that can be a, an inducer of these kinds of things, but it, it's not that uncommon. Many people are pulling themselves up to their bootstraps between little jumps of, of uh, serendipitous, uh, uh, you know, awakening where they, they get a, an awakening and ah, I get it now, but they're back to tugging on their bootstraps. It's just a little different after that. So yeah, this gentleman, uh, well, I don't know if it's a gentleman, this person uh, is, um, on track it sounds like they are they are uh, doing what they should be doing just uh, you know keep up the good work keep uh, you know focusing and you'll find that the farther you go and the more you go down this path the quicker these epiphanies come in other words your first one is just really big like you'd never have anything like that happen suddenly clarity comes to your life that you didn't have it before and it's a really big deal but then that'll happen again and again and again and the more it happens, the more often it, you know, it happens again. So the clarity comes quicker and with less shock and surprise, and it becomes more of an everyday thing. And pretty soon you're living in a very clear, a very clear space where everything makes sense. So it's just the beginning steps and just keep working on it and it will get clearer and better. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Tom. Um, I believe Ingeborg has another question for you. Okay. Yes, uh, uh, half an hour ago, I think you spoke uh, on the uh, the way that uh, um, the system uh, that uh, some effort has to be put into the system so that it can evolve to the better. So and that there are. Um, more uh, possibilities to to do the feed the wrong part than to do the right thing. So less possibilities, less uh, choices to 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 get an evolution of the system. So mm -hmm. uh, this is so this is why um, you know I thought about it, and I uh, um, as a result of this workshop I, ca I came from, I got the idea that uh, there is an, an an urgent need for us. Uh, who are the agents of the evolution, the central syntropy of the system, to um, to evolve such mental concepts and to 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 think about positive choices, just to feed them into the the field, you know, just to 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 design these concepts and make plans with a new idea of you know uh, making politics or a new way to teach children or uh, some positive um, uh, input so we we have to design it first in our um, mindset and then feed it into the system or into the field and then it, it, this idea or these new concepts are present in the field and maybe not we ourselves the one who invented this project but somebody else you know 
just um, gets connection into this information in the field and then does it if it is on the right place and if it's uh, uh, um, um, lowering the entropy of the system. So this is my question. I, do we have to to work on this projects? Yes, yes, uh, that's a good. Uh, it's a good question and a good point. It's not going to be real helpful if all of us, and not just us present here, but all of us who kind of understand the bigger picture, if we all sit around and 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 talk to each other and answer each other's questions, that's good, but that's not really what we need to do. We need to go out in the world and connect. We need to get involved. We need to engage the world. <clears throat> it's, not a, it's not enough just to uh, talk among ourselves. So everybody needs to engage the world. And often when people go down a spiritual path, they do just the opposite. They start to withdraw from the world. They see themselves as a spiritual caring being. They see the world as kind of mean-spirited and grabby, and they kind of shrink away from it rather than engaging it. And eventually you end up with a bunch of uh, uh, high-quality people all kind of getting together, you know, circling the wagons, if you will, forming their own little societies and groups. And uh, that's not as helpful as it would be if these people went out and engaged in the world. Now they can still come back to their group for kind of plug in for more energy, you know, some more encouragement, some more techniques and ways to do problems and ways to uh, you know, solve issues and that sort of thing. It's not that getting that we getting together in groups are, is a bad idea. It's just we need to do more than just us get together in a group and say, oh, everybody else needs to join our group and you too can become wise and wonderful. We need to go and connect, engage with people, have conversations, um, share. That doesn't mean we preach. You know, preaching often doesn't help. You have to encourage other people to go where they want to go. Now you can give somebody a, an opener, talk about, well, have you ever considered, you know, if there's anything more to this reality than just the physical? Well, that's a good opener. But if they say, yeah, I thought about it and I'm convinced there's nothing out there other than this. And you can say, oh, really? Uh, well, what about so-and-so? You see, you don't say, well, that's just wrong. You see, and have an argument with them, that isn't helpful at all. That's not what I mean by engage. I don't mean uh, proselytize and preach. I mean, just talk with people because you care about them and you have respect for them and whatever their ideas are, however dysfunctional or goofy they might be, just connect, just talk, interact with people because when your light shines inside, other people will feel that. They'll sense that. It'll, they'll get something out of just being in interaction with you, even if it never gets to a verbal level. So it's... It's good that we all grow up individually. It's good that we kind of band together and, and give each other uh, incentives and encouragement. But it's also good to go out and engage in that world, even if that world's a little ugly, and connect to it. Connect with people will make a bigger difference that way than, than any other way. So, yes, we do have to work at things. That's work. 
it's much easier to sit at home and read a book than it is to go out and interact with people, particularly when people have all these fearful ideas, all this fear and this anger and this other stuff. It's a lot of work to go out and interact with those people. And you probably can't do it for more than, you know, maybe an hour or two at a time. And then you maybe have to go retreat and take a little break, but then get back out there and, and interact because that's where you do the most good. Now, again, if you go out to preach or to tell people how they're wrong and what they need to think about, and if you're going out to, to do that, you're probably more part of the problem than you are part of the, the solution. Telling people what's wrong with them and what they should be thinking just makes them retreat in the opposite direction than what you're trying to, to tell them about. It's, it's not helpful. So I don't mean everybody go out and be a missionary, you know, and, and convert the masses, you know, into, into spiritual life. That's not the point at all. You know, that would be a disaster and would probably backfire and create less spirituality. It would create uh, arrogance on the part of the people who were the, who were the missionaries, I suspect, more than anything else. So it's just interact with individuals, just on a one-on-one, you know, the people where you work, the people where you go to school, people on the street that you meet, the people in shops where you go in and buy something. Deal with everybody with caring and with love and be interested in them and their viewpoint and what they have to say about things. Connect with them, not just superficially, but connect with them, whoever they are, however ugly they are, connect with them and interact with them on their level. Don't constantly be trying to pull them up to your level. Just interact with them on their level and let that interaction pull them up. Not that you try to pull them up, but just let your interaction with them as an honest, caring person who really cares about them, let that pull them up. Not anything that you actually intellectually do to change their mind. That generally doesn't work. So I say, yes, it's very important to engage the outer, the outside world, not just to sit back and be comforted by our own knowledge of how the world works. That, uh, that's kind of been the mode of people, you know, I called them in that, that, that talk in Spokane, little bubbles of enlightenment that popped up all over our history. But mostly the world was not ready to the, to the point that it was very hostile to those. So they kind of gathered together in monasteries or wherever else and kind of kept to themselves and didn't impact much because they really didn't have the tools to do much better than that, but we do now. We do have communication tools. You can interact with thousands of people all over the planet and never get up from your desk at your computer. You see, you can, you can write blogs discussing things that people get interested in and pull them in. You can affect people everywhere, and we need to do that. We all need to contribute some to, uh, to uh, you know, helping other people change themselves. And there's lots of things you can do. Like, uh, you know, we have Keith who's running this thing and, and uh, Justin who spend hours and hours and hours of their time editing video so that these videos can go out and, you know, hundreds of thousands of people can see these videos. Well, that's not easy for them. That's a lot of hard work. It's, it's work. It's time that they could be spending with their family. It's time they could be doing other things. Uh, it's, it's effort. It's really, it's literally thousands of hours of work to do video editing and it's tedious work. 
But these two guys do it. They do it regularly. They've been doing it for years. And they're happy doing it. See, makes Keith smile. And, you know, it makes Justin smile because they're giving back and they know it makes a difference. There's hundreds of thousands of people who have grown because of the videos that they edited and got made, you know, got out on YouTube. So it's not that you really have to go join a monastery or you really have to, you know, go out and ring a bell, you know, gathering alms for the poor, thing like that. Just things that you can do in your spare time. Answer on the internet, you know, go to a place where they have these issues. Engage them in these issues. Maybe they've never heard about your perspective. Well, give them your perspective. So it's kind of an outreach program, but not as a missionary, just as a person who cares and would like to share. Not as a person who's trying to convert or change minds, but just as a person who's entering the conversation. You see, you don't have to convince people. Just you walk the talk, you be it, and people will get it. You don't have to say anything intellectual to them to convince them. You just convince them because of who you are and what you are and the, and the things that you say. So you go on a, some kind of website that's discussing spiritual things, and you're the one that's not trolling your ego. You're the one that's not getting upset. You're the one that's not calling everybody else stupid because they don't agree with you and so on. And pretty soon that shows up, you see, and you become more important just because of what you didn't say, <laughs> what you didn't do, just because you're you're not showing you know, all the negative stuff. So you can have an impact just by being. It's not, you don't have to do start something special. You don't even have to start a website or start a blog. Just interact, engage, become a part of the world. That, I think, is a very important thing to do. Somehow, you know, make a difference just by being yourself and being a caring, loving person. And that will do more good as part of the solution than anything else that you can do. It's, uh, it's, it's, that's kind of the optimal way to give. You grow yourself up and you go interact. You care about people. So as long as it comes out of that caring place and not out of that ego place or that fear place, then you will be part of the solution, no matter what you say or don't say. If it comes out of that ego or that, that uh, arrogance place, then uh, you're going to be part of the problem, no matter whether you're trying to convince them to go read MBT or not. If it comes out of that arrogant place, you're going to be part of the problem, not part of the solution. So it's it's not about MBT. It's just about caring about people and talking about whatever it is they want to talk about. Just because you care about them and you're interested in them and understanding how they think and you know wishing them well. And maybe you could say a little something that would help be helpful to them. But you just lay it out there and let them decide whether they want to pick it up, much less, you know, take a bite. You just just offer it as, a, as an idea. No, uh, you know, no push, no show, just uh, engage. So I, I probably went a lot further than your question, but I think it's an important thing to tell people. You know, if they say, well, how can I help? What can I do? What you can do is get engaged. First, grow up. Engaging with fear and ego isn't going to be too helpful, but grow up and go out into the world and be a part of it. Connect with it. Don't retreat from it. Yes, it can be a harsh and nasty place, but once you grow up past the point of your ego getting snagged and ensnared with their ego, then that harshness mostly goes away. You don't mind 
that kind of stuff. You know, you're on that blog and somebody says, well, you must be an idiot, you know, and it just doesn't bother you because that's okay. You know, that's just the way that person feels and it doesn't make you say anything nasty back or whatever. And you can just deal with that. Well, and everybody knows this is how well you deal with that. You see? So it's, it, it, you don't really mind engaging in the world when you're grown up enough that your own ego doesn't entangle you in that, in that uh, messy world. Your ego kind of leaves you off to the side so that you can communicate. Not from an ego, but just from caring. So that's the key. That's the thing to do. Thank you very much, Tom. You know, that was a really great question to finish with and a truly great answer. Uh, we did have a few more questions from Jesse, but as always, we've run out of time. It's flown by. So, Jesse, I'm sorry. We'll get to you next time. I think we're done here today. So, so thank you, Tom, for your time and wisdom. Thank you for everyone who joined us in the room today. To Oliver, as always, for your hard work. And to everyone who submitted such fantastic questions today. Uh, I had a great time, and I hope you did too. Thank you. Well, you know, I left Oliver out of that. I was talking about Justin. I'm talking about you, Keith. And Oliver's <laughs> sitting right up there above me. He's sitting right he on top does, of my head. He does and, fantastic. Uh, you know, Tom, I'd like to actually say something about that if I may. If I may, Oliver does this, and I know people are watching at home and they've watched a lot of fireside chats. Oliver does this out of the goodness of his heart, but it does cost him money to put to, to host the uh, the fireside chat and stuff. And if anyone out there is listening and gets value from any of this, I would love it if they could see their way to making some small donation to help Oliver continue the fireside chat going. Yes, good idea. Here, here for that. Yeah. Sorry, Oliver, I should have included you as I looked at this thing here, the people I know and what they're doing. And some of you are probably doing things that I just don't know. So I didn't, uh, didn't say about you, but Oliver's done an awful lot to help people get the information they need to grow up. There wouldn't be anything for Justin or Keith to, <laughs> to edit if it wasn't for Oliver pulling it all together here. So, uh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, we appreciate uh, that. And that's the kind of thing you can just do. It makes a big difference in, in the world. That's connecting. That's getting engaged, not just sitting back and watching it all go by, but doing something. Well, it's good, Tom. You know, we've got the new Facebook group. I don't know if you've seen that yet. Um, we have MBT Global Family. I know some of you have already joined. That's been fun. Um, we're going to try and get together group conscious minds. We're going to put people together locally. Um, it's all coming together. Tom and I talked the other week about how things are moving and they seem to be it's a snowball effect. It's getting bigger. It's getting quicker. And things are happening better than we've ever seen it happen before. So uh, we're all on the right path. Great. Good news. It is. Thank you, everybody. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you all uh, came. And for any of you, you out there watching these things, if you want to be a part of it, we're not up to capacity yet. Oliver tells me we can probably, uh, you know, what double or even triple the size, and the, and his equipment will still be able to handle it. So if you have a desire to come and ask questions, uh, go get get in touch with Oliver. Uh, Get in touch with Keith, Don or Keith at MBT Events. Uh, they'll help you, pass you in the right directions, or I guess talk to Justin. Almost, most of the people here will be able to tell you what you do to get here. I guess anybody that's here can tell you what they did to get here anyway, and that'd give you a path to follow. So it's not impossible. It's not that we are very restrictive about who, uh, who comes here. 
we're not real restrictive. We'd like you to have at least some experience uh, in uh, the things that we're talking about so that the questions are good, solid questions. But um, that's about it. So we're open for more uh, attendees, if you if you will. So those of you who would like to become a part of this, uh, come come be part of it. It uh, it'll only get better if it gets bigger. <laughs>